is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not an NFL caliber locker room today. It's more like a high school JV basketball team locker room. At one point, though, you and I both thought <laughs> as young kids, hey, I can make it in the NFL. I never thought that once. Oh, never once. Here. Back not here once. football with the neighborhood crowd. Too slow. Can't jump. Never thought for one second I'd make it to the See, NFL. See, I was a small one, but I was like the small and quick one. <laughs> And I was like, I could be a running back. I don't know, Christian McCaffrey. How hard is that? Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Opperman. We are filling in for Wolf and Starks as they make the trek from across the country. Steelers fall to the L.A. Chargers last night in what was the game of the year. If you can just take a step back Mm. and take off your fan glasses and look at it from the perspective of just being a football fan, for the Steelers being participants in it, that was the best game they've been involved in all year long. 41-37, high scoring, great comeback, amazing splash plays. A lot that you can look at and say, you know what, I like what I saw the Pittsburgh Steelers doing out there. Unfortunately, as we sit here today, we have to rehash this game after a loss and not a big comeback win. Like with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, we thought it might be. Tom, I've never been on a more of a whirlwind of a game in quite some time for this Pittsburgh Steelers It was team. a fun football game, for sure. We have to uh, acknowledge that. There were other games in the past, look at the wildcard game against the Browns, where there were there were notes, there were, there were sense of a comeback effort, and it never really came into fruition. This was the real one. I, I remember the Colts game at the end of the year last year. But that wasn't nearly as as dire of a of a hole to come back from, and nearly as late in the game, all done in the fourth quarter. Gosh, it it just felt good to watch a team that could really stick with it when you're opposing offense. When the opposing offense still put up 41 points, yeah, it sucked to admit that the Steelers' defense put up or allowed 41 points. But God, even though the Steelers came away with a loss and People want to throw out moral victories, sure, a loss is a loss, but it, this may have been the last time we, we, we would ever see Big Ben air it out like that. It's very possible. Our good friend Adam Crowley said to us after the game wrapped up before postgame last night, this would have been more of a moral victory to me if they had beaten the Lions the week prior. If they were 6-3 and three heading into this game and fell to 6-4 and four after seeing the offense wake up like this um, – and put up the most points they've had all year long. Now, granted, they got some help with that block punt, set them up in some prime real estate. They still almost played with their food there and didn't come away with a I touchdown. Mean, that we'll, drive only lasted 19 We'll seconds. get to that in a second. But, you know, this offense finally showed its signs of life, and it showed you that, hey, they can score 30-plus points in a football game and win a football game that way. So, yeah, you could walk away from this and be like, well— 41 to 37 defense was incredibly banged up three key contributors were out of this game and Minka Watt and uh, Joe Hayden Uh, you know what that's fine you lose a game in LA whatever but the fact that you tied the week before Mm. and the fact that you didn't take care of business and that you weren't six and three heading into this game it makes this comeback that fell short even sting a little extra harder than I think it, it ever possibly should when you see a team play as well as this but still come away with a loss. Yeah, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger put on a show, right? He had oh, 270 yeah. yards, three touchdowns, 
Why does he even practice? Once, he should just skip I practice mean, every week. Kind of I mean, reminded you of the Detroit preseason game. I, I hate to bring up that compared to the actual regular season game, but that was a, that was an instance of where we said, look at Ben, man. He just came out there, two touchdowns on three drives against Detroit. I mean, granted, it was Detroit and their, and their B team, but still, I mean, to watch Ben not have a single rep, not knowing that he didn't leave his house, the only person he was throwing his football to were his three young kids, his four young kids, right? In the backyard. There was no one from the team, no one from a facility being there to train with him because you're not allowed to do that if you're in quarantine. To come out there and have that day, 270 yards, three touchdowns, Tom, no interceptions. Again, he does not turn the ball over this year. I know he's thrown some interceptable passes, and all the analytics geeks and hardos will be like, well, when you look at interceptable pass percentage rate, Ben's actually near the top of the league, and he should be picked off more. Well, shoulda, woulda, coulda, he hasn't been getting picked mm-hmm. off, and he's protecting the football, and that continues here in his game back from COVID. Like you said, zero interceptions. Zero interceptions. Did they Got do- that close one with Derwin James early in the game, but Very, he, was, he yeah. was out of bounds. He was out of bounds, and... Yeah, it came at Ari. Was that the first drive? That so that, that would have taken yep. off three points on the board, and it doesn't matter. I think the Chargers would have gone down the, the field anyway and scored that touchdown because they did so when they faced a, a, a 75-yard drive after the Steelers scored their their opening drive field goal. But Ben played great. But Ben he played, played really phenomenal. Great. There's no way number two does that. If he's in there, no chance. There's this, only number is, seven's the only one that can put up 30 plus points. If this is Mason Rudolph, final score is what 41 13, 15, something around there, some gross Maybe score where like they had to go 48 for 48 because you're giving the LA Chargers more time on the field with Mason Rudolph. And who's to say that Rudolph wouldn't have thrown an interception and given them the ball in prime territory? Maybe if he lost the fumble or two. Exactly. Or ben Roethlisberger lost his fumble, recovered it on his own. You don't know if Mason Rudolph can do that. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no way with any other guy on this Steelers roster who's labeled as a quarterback, the Steelers are in this game, losing this game by only four points if it's not Big Ben. Football is the ultimate team sport. Like, you can't just have a superstar at one position and expect to run the table and win a Super Bowl. Like, it's, it's basketball where you can have two big stars, and you might not win the title, Jacob. You know, you're a basketball fan, but you're going to be a really good team even with just those two big stars. Like, football has to have offense, defense, contributors from top to bottom, depth on both sides of the ball to be a Super Bowl contender team. This was the most Herculean effort I've ever seen from just two individuals, and it almost won them a football game in L.A., Ben Roethlisberger and Cam they Hayward can. played like absolute superstars. They were really the only two Steelers that I would give a hat tip to in this game. And the fact that really only two Steelers were trying to backpack this team to a victory and were up by a field goal late, it's it's a phenomenal. Like, I have to give them credit. I, I know that some people out there are listening and want us to do the, you got to give these guys the business. They can't lose that game after having that lead that late and letting up that touchdown. And, and now they're 5-4-1, and one, and they're out of the playoff picture completely if the season ended today. I get that there's some frustration there. But as opposed to last week after the Lions tie, and I felt absolutely disgusted by it, even right. though it wasn't a loss— even though this was a loss, I don't feel as disgusted by it. I guess it's a bit of both. You played better in the process, and the team you lost to was a good football team. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get to our fair share of criticism throughout these next couple hours, but I'm very, very pleased by the effort. Obviously, that might be 
too short of making it to the playoffs because of that tie and this loss now. But you, you can't, as a fan, not sit back and appreciate Cam and Ben are two true Steelers that just put it all on the line to try to backpack you to a victory. And they fell a little short, but they still deserve a lot of credit. It's wild to me to think that a team puts up 37 points, and yet the play that sticks in my mind from last night is Cam running down Justin Herbert for 35 yards. Okay, why is that happening, though? Like, it shouldn't, where no, it, are it the other happen. Steelers? Yeah, right. It, 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 it's a catch-22. Is it? Do you look at it from the perspective of why is it that our defensive lineman has to run down the field with a very mobile quarterback? Why is he the one chasing after him? Or is it, I can't believe Cam Hayward chased down Justin Herbert. Which one is it? He's done that a couple times this year, though. It's been a running back or a quarterback, a good 15, 20, 30 yards. In Herbert's case, it was almost 50 yards down the field. Yeah, it was 37-yard uh, run. And he catches them because he's got that running back blood in his system. You know, old Ironhead Hayward at Pitt just bulldozing people at the goal line, goal line to get touchdowns. He's got, he's come, he comes from a very athletic background. I mean, like I just said, his father was a, a great running back in college, and He's got that kind of speed to go along with his. That's why he's one of the best interior defensive linemen because he's too athletic to be a defensive lineman. I think you know right I mean? now in 2021, he is the best. Him and Donald are cut from a mold of these guys are too athletic to play this spot. But Don't get me wrong, Aaron Donald, we all know the name. But right now in 2021, this season, it's all, it's all Cam Hayward. When you win a defensive player of the year award, you got to have moments. You have to have your big mo like it's not just a matter of playing great for 17 weeks straight. You have to have a couple of highlight real moments that they can put on a montage at the award ceremony when they give you that award. I bet you they play that one. Listen, Hayward's got a couple now. He's got the interception oh, yeah. he had a few weeks back and then this play, the batted down ball right. that Cam Sutton who deserves just as much credit as Cam cuz what a heads up play from Sutton. For being there. the only one to target or to to locate that ball in the air. Both it, sides. The right. Steelers and the Chargers. Right, Everybody exactly. was like and then, Cam was like looking up Hayward then, I mean was like where is it where is it? And not only that, he was able to locate the ball but make his way toward the ball. We saw if you're watching the replay of that game, Cam Sutton Enters your TV screen. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah. So he he covered a lot of distance to get to that ball. Yeah, and it's a phenomenal play from his end. But like I'm saying, he's got those big, you know, montage highlight reel moments now to his campaign. And the fact that his teammate, who would have been giving him the toughest race, I think maybe out of anybody in the NFL, maybe Miles Garrett, maybe Diggs from, from Dallas, but... Mm. Watts, the guy that's been standing in front of Cam's way for sure this year, Watts' biggest problem is his availability. He's missed a couple games now, so I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You can miss one or two games here or there, but as far as a defensive player of the year race is concerned, that You're could dropping. be a killer. Hayward, week in and week out, playing with a bunch of Jimmys and Joes opposite of him on that defensive line, has been the best player on the field, not just for the Steelers defensively, for both teams defensively every single week that they've suited up and played so i think not I, even defensively I, I, just on the field regardless of your position. position as much as i love uh talking about how great ben was in this game and he was a warrior i, I gotta give my definitive game ball mvp to cam hayward i i think the defense was a, a joke and they gave up way mm. too many points i would have loved to have seen what would have happened if cam was not in that game is do they score 56 do well, they score 60 points Well, there was like, only what one or two punts on the day by the chargers do they even punt once if Cam like right you just don't know and you certainly don't get that splash play that you had which was i mean 
I know they didn't end up winning, but if you were going to win and complete the comeback, you needed a big turnover like that. And 97 and 20 delivered big time. And I know that Justin Herbert, after his touch, his his long run that was ended short by Cam, the two plays later, it was Austin Eckler into the end zone for five yards from five yards out. But Justin Herbert's running that ball in 100% of the times. If Cam Hayward's not there to run him down. And yeah, like you said, Cam, I mean, Isaiah Bugs had a really good pass batted down early on in the game, but Cam Hayward was the one who stepped up in the fourth quarter and made the play. So, yeah, I mean, it is beyond reason to assume that the Steelers would not have given up more than 41 points had Cam not been in there. Can't, I, I don't even want to imagine it just because it's, it'd be so traumatic to put myself through that, that kind of a hypothetical, Tom, because already watching them give up 41 points is a big punch to the gut, right? This is a Pittsburgh Steelers defense for the last three years has been the best overall defense in the National Football League. And whichever way you want to cut it, there is no argument around it. And to see them really fall this far, when we had such high hopes for it, we were saying that, wow, the additions of Melvin Ingram, the additions of Joe Schobert could really help this defense, could really plug in some holes. The, the emergence of James Pierre in the preseason, wow, this defense, I don't know if it's going to miss a step. If anything, we were saying on paper it was probably better than the defense we saw in 2020. In 2020. That's not the case. And absolutely, when you have two guys who are on your roster who are defensive player of the year caliber and TJ and Cam, and you're already down TJ, what would have happened if you were down both of them for this game? It, it, it is hard to imagine the embarrassment that the, the, the defense would have allowed. No TJ, no Hayden, and no Minka Fitzpatrick. And well, yeah, keep that in mind too. Yeah, you right. Have two, you have two defensive player of the year candidates on your defense, but you're also down two really solid secondary members, and, and both in the secondary. That's too. the key. They're both in the secondary. And Mike Williams, I think, had an easy game last mm-hmm. night. I think he was finding space whenever he wanted to find space. Obviously, that last touchdown too was a killer. I think there was a bit of a coverage breakdown there. I, I think Minka has been below his line of play that he's set so far for himself Surely. this year. I, I think he's not been bad, like some people would like to say, but I definitely don't think he's been the Minka we've been used to. I think it really showed just how big his absence can be felt in that game yesterday, especially in that Mike Williams. I don't know if Mike Williams is that open on that touchdown. No, I mean, that's, that's not Trey Norwood covering Mike Williams. That's what I mean. So I, I think Minka could be having a better year. He's leaving a lot more to be desired, especially in the turnover department. But him being the captain of that secondary and him just making sure that all these home runs don't happen. Has he given up a fair share of home runs this year? Yeah, more than we'd like to see. But I think what we saw last night was that, hey, he's given up a couple. It'd be a lot worse if he wasn't back there all year long. So just because he's not having a Minka caliber kind of year doesn't mean he's not having a good kind of year for an NFL safety. And he's really that eraser back there, even when he's not doing that great of a job at it this year. You just see the difference when he's out. It's night and day, and and they sorely needed him. Honestly, with how good Cam was doing up front, and yeah, I would have liked to see more pressure on Herbert from T.J. Watt. If I had to choose, I'd probably, in hindsight's twenty twenty, I'd probably take number thirty nine instead of number ninety in this game. I just think the secondary with him and Hayden being out was just it was too much to ask for. Well, yeah, I mean, you had Cam Hayward covering up your defensive front. So to give yourself Cam and TJ, yes, that would have been a huge advantage up front, but you still 
have a li- liability in the secondary. So you want a more balanced attack. Cam Hayward's having the game he's having. I'm happily taking Minka or even Joe, to be honest. Either one of those guys is a huge upgrade from what the Steelers were left with without them. When we come back, we are going to talk about what I think is the Steelers' biggest problem with their team right now. And no, it is not the injuries or the illness. We'll talk about that when we return. We're here in the locker room on ESPN Pittsburgh. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. No Wolf and Starks today in the locker room. Instead, you got Opferman and Rec breaking down the Steelers' loss to the L.A. Chargers last night on Sunday Night Football. Before that break, Jacob, I said the Steelers have one problem that's bigger than all of the mm. rest of their problems, and it's not the injuries. It's not the illness that they've had with Minka on COVID, Ben on COVID list before the Lions game. It's not the rushing offense. It's not even the rushing defense, which is a big problem. And oh, it's a problem. We'll get to all of these things as we work our way through these two hours. Yeah, but there are problems, not just one. Many. Yeah, not just one. But the one that really has stood out to me, especially these last two weeks, and has been a killer for the Pittsburgh Steelers in these two games, their goal line offense. They cannot score when they are on the goal line and that game gets really close and compact and those windows get smaller and smaller. And I'm not one of these guys that say it's five yards to go. That's the easiest play in football. You should score every time you're first and five from the goal. It is a lot harder, especially in the NFL than you think when you get really close down to that goal line. I mean, windows get tighter. Like I said, play execution has to become crisper. But that's what you get paid to do. You're an NFL team. You're, you you got to score more times than not when you're in those goal-to-go situations. And not only are the Steelers not scoring on these goal-to-go situations, Jacob, they're not passing the eye test. They're mm-hmm. not running the right plays. If it was Najee getting stuffed three straight times and you kick a field goal or you go for it on fourth down and on that fourth down you decide to finally pass the ball but it's incomplete, that's fine with me. You get stuffed like that, the other team just beats you. But the fact that you're passing the ball as much as you are, the fact that you're trying to run these jet sweeps as much as you are, it's kind of embarrassing, right? Like, it's an embarrassing look for Canada as an OC to call these plays. I think I can see Ben getting visibly frustrated, too. I think I saw Ben get visibly frustrated. I think I saw Najee Harris get visibly frustrated last night. I was visibly frustrated. No one saw me. I was in the studio by myself doing highlights, but... I was visibly frustrated, Tom, watching that Reds or the uh, the goal to go offense because it's not just as you said, it's not just the play call, but it's the execution of the plays you go with. Nothing develops, right? There, there is no, oh well, okay, well this happened and and he got open or, or this hole created itself or or the O line created this hole for Najee. Nothing is happening. I. I it seems that when they score from the goal line or from goal to go situations, it's really only on a, like a one play drive s- scenario or, or, or like on the first down. If they don't hit it on first down, I don't think they're hitting it on second down and I don't think they're hitting it on third down. So I think they kind of just put their best play out there to start and then hope to God that if it doesn't hit, the next two plays on second and third down combined get them enough yardage to get into the end zone. 
They had two first and goal to go situations in this game where they were both within like the six yard line when they started on those goal to goes. And they came away with seven points total out of those. The first one, the sequence that they decided to go with was on first down, a Claypool reverse got stuffed. Nowhere to go. Second one, Najee run up the middle. Oh, hey, I would have liked to see that on first down. But Najee gets stuffed, which is going to happen. I mean, that's why you try to run three times because it's not a guarantee he's going to get it the first or even the second time. But, hey, third time's the charm. So they try to run it with Najee, more traditional sense of goal line offense on the second down. Third down, they pass incomplete. Fourth down, they pass. Shovel pass to Pat Fryermuth. He catches it, but he's short of the goal line. Chargers were all over that. Brandon mm. Staley and that defense were watching film because that play has worked for the Steelers earlier this year. Chargers it's for the sniffed, not just in the year, but overall, that's kind of their go-to. that out yeah. big time. There was four L.A. Charger hats on Pat Fryermuth the second he caught that shovel pass. So that was on fourth down. Steelers walk away empty-handed on that drive, no points. Then the next time, after the blocked punt, they're down, and, and my God, it was so unfortunate that that ball squibbed out of bounds at the three because I think we were all saying – Please, Killebrew, just pick that up and take it into the end zone. Like, we don't need to fool around with this goal line offense, but here we are. First down from the three. Let's pass the ball, right? Because why not? Let's just pass this thing. Second down, what do we do when the pass doesn't work? Another clay pool reverse. Let's run that clay pool reverse that went so well the first time we were down here. Oops, it got stuffed again. So what happens on third down? We're going to throw a pass to Deontay Johnson. That's incomplete. Oops, it's fourth down. We got to go for it because we're down too much in the game. Field goal means nothing at this point. Let's throw a pass to Claypool. Inter intercepted in the end zone. But thankfully, they were bailed out by a pass interference flag on that play. Sets it up first and goal from the one. And I guess... The only time to convince Canada to actually give it to Najee Harris on the goal line is when you're at the one-inch line. You're not even on the one-yard line. You're on the inch line. The beautiful thing about that is, though, he only had an inch to gain, and he still kind of just gave, like, a double middle finger to Canada because he leapt from, like, four yards in the backfield, right. and Najee just soared he into really the end zone like a Greek god. strolled in behind the offensive line. It the was offensive line had the push. And he had no need to do that, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. There. It was just, it was honest, and I'm, I'm obviously kidding. He wasn't doing that on purpose to give the double fingers to. No, Canada. but it was an unnecessary move. It was a freak show of athleticism. But it showed that you like that. What we can do if it's yeah. if it's first and goal from the four, he could leap into the end zone right, he like he's Superman jumping over a building. Like he's got that kind of talent, and I don't understand why the mentality is almost to use him as a decoy when they get down to that goal line. And you see that decoy kind of thing happening because there's a couple of plays where Ben will send him out on motion from the backfield to try to move that linebacker, see if it's a zone or a man scheme that the other uh, team is running defensively. But, like, why, why – you've said it before on the standard, Jacob, is we got to have that kiss mentality. Why are we not keeping it simple, stupid? Why – are we playing chess with ourselves and saying, well, he thinks that I think that he thinks that I think that he thinks that I'm going to run the ball. So I'm going to pass this thing because I'm smarter than he is and I'm in his head. But you're just in your own head and you just need to take a step back and say, I don't give a bleep what Brandon Staley and the Chargers are doing here. I have Najee Harris. I'm running the ball four straight times. Mm -hmm. And if we can't get five yards on four straight carries, my offensive line is running laps until they puke the next day at practice. I mean, I've said this before on our show, The Standard. You're playing chess when yourselves when you could just be playing checkers with the opposing coach. Why are you trying to outthink yourself 
well, if they're going to do this, then I should do that. No, they're not going to do anything until you act. They're not going to react until you act. So why are you trying to react to their reaction? The Chargers are expecting you to run, but they want you to pass. Like, that gives them the best chance in their mind to get away without seven on the board, at least three, or maybe even a turnover happening. But, like, yeah, they're going to stack the box, and they're going to say, we're going to sell out to stop the run, but they want you to pass the ball. Like, they don't want you to run it, even though they're prepared to stop it. Like, running the ball in those goal-to-go situations is the most high-percentage way to score. If you run... Even if you're not doing well, you're still doing more damage to them because they are far worse. I mean, we know how bad that rush defense is for the Chargers, right? 30 yards, they were averaging 30 yards more, uh, 30, more than 30 yards per game allowed than any other NFL team. More than second place. And how many rushing yards did Najee Harris finish with? 39, 38? Not enough, that's for sure. And I mean, that, they that didn't really about, commit to him either. That is about 100 yards less than what the Chargers average per game coming into last night. 12 so, carries, 39 yards. That's just go. not enough. It's just not no, enough. Tom, it, it's not enough for a half. And I know you're down in the game a lot, so, oh, you got to throw the ball to get yourself back into it. I don't know. I've seen teams like the Titans who are built around the run come back via, Were you via still really running down the ball. That bad? No, it to was too, start. It was early too. Like you still had time. Where I get that you can't just pound and pound and pound and pound your way down the field, but you don't have to punt on the run a hundred percent. I mean, you don't have to completely abandon it. And I know Nodge got hurt later in the game. wasn't able to return until that final drive. That well, the I think Steelers it was only out for what one drive. I think it was a couple drives. Mm. They could have used them in that fourth quarter a little bit, but. Either way, not enough commitment to the run. After three, four weeks of running more than they pass the ball and really finding that identity and that translating to four straight wins, this is now back-to-back results, one being a tie, one being a loss, where the pass was heavily dominated as far as play calls were concerned compared to the run. That's just not who you are. That just can't be the team that you are right now. Tom, what do we reiterate? A lot? We, we, we kind of have a lot of tropes on this show. You know, this whole thing goes kind of in perfectly with our goal line offense thing. Is They're just not running the ball at all. And it, it, it's all-encompassing, but especially on that goal line. What? Sorry. No, no, no. It's, I mean, it, it's— Frustrated. A, no, absolutely we're frustrated. But we always mention the repetition of an action that has not produced— and expecting something different to happen. And it's insanity. It seems that in tandem, almost in, in perfect unison, the rushing offense as a whole and the goal line offense as a whole, we, we sit here every week and say the same thing about them. That you cannot, you are incapable of getting the ball into the end zone when you only have less than 10 yards to go. And when you're capable of running the football and you're allowed to run the football, I say aloud because, as you pointed out, the Steelers faced multiple 14-point deficits. They were down by 17 at one point when it was, what, 27 to 10, I think, at some point. You're, you're, you're allowed to shy away from the run, but there were other times in this game where it was close, and Najee Harris was not yet injured or not yet in the concussion protocol tent. Well, you were allowed to go to Najee Harris, and they refused to do so. Yeah, and... Again, that guy, along with Firemuth, I think those two have really emerged as your guys. And you know what? Deontay and Claypool had a pretty decent game, I think, as oh, well. I mean, Deontay was making catch. catches like crazy. He had a couple of great catches in the field. And 
that slant route that he took 36 yards, it was just like the Cleveland the, I mean, that's the what play Billy, that that's iced what the Cleveland said, yeah. game. I want to see more of that, man. That's Odell Beckham-esque, where you just give him that ball on that slant, and his athleticism takes him the rest of the way down the field. Well, when you, you pointed out when the Steelers were on the goal-to-go situation and the pass got batted down, right? And yeah. that's where you saw Ben really get upset because I think that was on third down. That was bread and butter for the Steelers. That was a slant pass that was going into the end zone, would have put up seven points instead of three. And that's not, and unfortunately, that's not what happened. And, and if I were Ben Roethlisberger, as I said earlier, I'd be incredibly frustrated because I know that's the play that works for me. And it just got batted down right at the line of scrimmage. I'm not sitting here into this microphone being Monday morning quarterback, too, and saying you can never pass the ball on the goal line. You can never pass on goal-to-go situations. You can. That slant, like you said, that's a bread-and-butter type of play. Just Chargers defense made a better play. That's going to happen. But there's just no balance at all on the goal line. It's all pass, or it's a jet sweep, or it's if we are going to give it to Najee, it's after we pass the ball once already, and the Chargers defense has been able to catch their breath, make a, make a stop, and, and you know dig in a little bit. Okay, two more to go until we force this field goal, or three more to go until we force a turnover on downs. Like You're just letting the defense kind of catch their breath, and it's a lot easier when it's just all pass or all jet sweep. And there's no just, we're bigger than you. Our guys on your guys. Let's see who can get three yards. And we, there's we, there's and no we threat expect of that. our guys to win. There's no threat of that at the goal line right now. And that's a huge problem. And listen, in the NFL, if you have like a Josh Allen, if you have an Aaron Rodgers, if you have, you know, guys of that Patrick Mahomes, I do want you to pass a lot more on the goal line. I want that ball in his hand. If Ben was five years younger, I'd be saying the same thing about him. But look at a team like the Colts. They go up to Buffalo and just kick the crap out of the Bills. You think it was all Carson Wentz? No, it was a guy named Jonathan Taylor. Every time they were on the goal line, they handed the ball in an I formation to Jonathan Taylor because that's, that's their identity. That's who they are. If you flip those teams and it's the Bills on the goal line, it's shotgun with Josh Allen. It's creativity. It's quarterback runs with him. It's passes quickly to Diggs. But that's their identity. You have to play it based on your identity. And I feel like Canada is completely blind as to what that goal line identity should be. It should be power. It should be Najee. And instead, he's playing it like he's still got, you know, five years younger Ben, who's who's still throwing for 300 yards every single week and yeah, can I think- fit balls into those tight windows and, and use his brain to, to make big plays happen with his arm on the goal line. It's, just, it's not who he is anymore. you got to hand it to Notch. I got to. I think Canada has convinced himself of a false identity for this offense, and that's why it's so hard to see anything else because in his mind, he believes what he is doing is right. It, it's the way to get the ball in the end zone. We'll touch on some of that Steelers' rush defense problems, uh, especially when it came to dealing with Justin Herbert. And we'll we'll get into Justin Herbert as well because he had a hell of a performance in that game last night when we come back on the other side of the break. He's Jacob Recht. I'm Tom Offerman. We're in for Wolf and Starks today in the locker room on ESPN Pittsburgh. is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. The Steelers' rushing defense has left a lot to the imagination this year. Last week against the Lions was their worst performance of the season so far, giving up 200-plus yards on the ground. 
before even getting into the fourth quarter they gave up that many yardage to the Lions. I saw watching the Lions-Browns game. That was like the first time a Lions team has had 200-plus yards rushing in over a decade when it happened to the Steelers last week in that tie. Jacob Brecht and Tom Offerman filling in for Wolf and Starks in the locker room, reacting to the Steelers' tough loss to the Chargers and looking at that rush defense. The Chargers didn't run the ball a ton in this game, only 26 times compared to Herbert throwing the ball 41 times. But, man, were they efficient when they decided to run that thing. Six Especially point... when it was Justin Herbert. He, he was, was running, running wild, brother, all over that team. You know, a lot of people were asking Mike Tomlin about quarterback mobility, how to plan for that. And he was giving his typical answer, saying quarterback mobility is always a factor when we have to plan for it. We know Justin Herbert can be active. Okay, that's not true. It's not always a factor. That's what, I mean, you play just, Flacco every once right. in a while. Like that's not always a, f- a factor. But he's, I mean, he said it, and I'm thinking to myself, Justin Herbert is a mobile quarterback. Justin Herbert's not a running quarterback, though. Yeah, he he's agile on his feet because he's only what 23, 24 years old. He should be agile on his feet if he's that young and, and, and a professional athlete. I did not see this coming. It was easy for him. Every time he rolled out or shot up the middle of the pocket. There was green spaces galore. I mean, there was no one even around him. Nine carries for 90 yards for Justin Herbert on the ground. He was the leading rusher for the Los Angeles Chargers by a wide margin. Austin Eckler had 11 carries and 50 yards. Those two did most of the damage on the ground for L.A. And like I said, only 26 times did they carry the rock, and nine of those being the quarterback deciding to tuck it and run. But it's 6.1 per carry. That's so efficient and just... When you're a team whose identity is pass first, like the Chargers, and that should be their identity, if you're getting 6.1 yards per carry to kind of keep that defense honest against the pass and the run, good luck trying to not let that team put up 41 points on you. You know, they're going to be clicking at all cylinders if the running game is going to be that effective. And especially if it's, it's nothing is worse than when your coverage is good downfield and Herbert just sneaks out for a 15-yard gain to pick up a first down. Like, that is so backbreaking to have that quarterback be the one that picks it up. But, Jacob, kind of to your point, he's not the flashiest athlete. You know, he's not an Allen. He's not a Jackson where he's having 90 yards rushing per game. But he kind of gives me that Rodgers when Rodgers was young vibe where he could have a 90-yard rushing game if the defense gave him those lanes to run in. Steelers gave him those lanes to run in, and Herbert said, thank you very much, I'll take them. So I don't expect him to like go out and he's looking to scramble nine to ten times, but he's capable if the defense gives him those well, lanes, and he, he showed that. Certainly not on the first handful of carries, but as the game developed and he recognized what he was doing on the ground, I'm sure he was looking for it a lot earlier than he did in the early portions of the game, Tom. Because it was just too easy for him, and he's thinking, he's probably thinking to himself, there's got to be some green grass for me to run on. And he was actively looking for it. And by the time the second half came around, and I'm sure he was saying, well, what's the point of me risking a bad throw here? I'm just going to run it. And, and, I, and I know I'm going to get that first down. So I don't know what you do, though. And this is because I'm an idiot. And I don't really know football as much as I pretend to know football. Shh, don't tell anybody that. But... I know you're really banged up on the defensive front, so that hurts a lot when trying to stop the run. I mean, do you try to call up some run blitzes? That's too risky when you have a player like Herbert. If he calls an audible out of that, it's going to be an easy pitch and catch for him against single coverage. So I don't think that's the answer. 
do, do you spy Herbert? I, can you afford to spy Herbert when you got a guy like Eckler, when you have weapons in that passing game that you need to commit your linebackers and coverage on? Like, it's really tough to figure out what you do to stop this guy. I think what Tomlin said in the post-game press conference is the easiest way, and that's they did not maintain pocket control. They let him get out of the pocket too much. There's, you know, uh, it's great to rush the passer and, and try to get sacks, mm-hmm. but if you're bra- if you're not keeping contain of the pocket when you do that, and you have an athletic quarterback like Herbert on the other side, this is the danger that you play with. It, sometimes it's better to just contain that pocket and keep him tight in there. Even if it sacrifices for a sack as best as you can, it keeps him from scrambling for 15 yards. Let's force him to try to make a throw into a tight window. Or if the coverage continues to hold up and he's stuck in that pocket, he'll eventually get sacked after a while. But there was just no pocket containment of Herbert. And, and there was no adjustment for that as the game went on either. And that that is what was really troubling. It was almost minimal, the effort you saw containing Herbert, which is ridiculously frustrating because we talk about bread and butter. We talk about Steelers keeping it simple and doing what they do best. What have they done better than any other NFL team for the past five years, Tom? Stop Lamar Jackson. Stopping Lamar Jackson, stopping the quarterback, getting to the quarterback, creating using blitz packages to get to the quarterback and take him down for a sack. For some reason, they are just shying away from that that mentality, that game plan, and the numbers don't lie, Tom. They're they're getting to the quarterback, but not nearly as as often or as frequent as they have the past couple of years. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a game breaker. It just means you're not going to get a sack here or there. But other times, like last night, it allows for the opposing quarterback to rush for 90 yards. I think Justin Herbert's ability to use his legs was maybe the biggest factor that helped this Chargers offense sustain drives. And hell, they only had to punt the ball twice. One of them was blocked. I am so impressed with what I see from him in the passing game, though. And I know that it's been inconsistent this year. And there's been games where, you know, he's only had like 190 yards through the air and he can't seem to get things cooking with his great wide receivers. Was that not the case on Sunday night? 382 yards through the air. He was 30 for 41. He did throw that pick, but I give that more on Cam Cam Hayward and Cam Sutton having great plays than Justin Herbert making a bad pass. That ball explodes out of his hand, Jacob. I mean, I don't see a more pure passer of the football in the NFL these days. I've heard, I've never seen this guy play other than highlight films, and I love him because of where he went to college. But people who are older than us say it looks like Marino, where it's just effortless. Like, he looks like he's just as cool, calm, and collected back there going through the motions, and the ball comes out at 150 miles per hour, right on the button, right on the money, I mean. Like, it's incredible to watch him throw the ball, and we were talking about what you have to prepare yourself for as the Steelers' defense all week leading up to this game. In that passing game, it's the big three. It's Keenan Allen, it's Mike Williams, and then it's Austin Eckler. Well, how did the breakdown stat-wise? Keenan Allen, leading receiver, nine catches, 112 yards. Mike Williams, five catches, 97 yards, a big touchdown at the end of the game. Austin Eckler, six catches, 65 yards, two tutties through the air, two more on the ground for Eckler. People, big night for you him. Know, Jonathan Taylor had that five-touchdown game, and if I'm Eckler, I'm like, oh, I pretty much had just as good of a game, but no one seems to really be giving me as much credit as Taylor. It's weird because it's a Sunday night game. Right, Everyone's right in front of everybody's game. face, but... Anyway, those were the big three, and the big three came to play. Herbert was distributing them the ball all night long. Uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, both of them almost going over the 100-yard mark, and 
Austin Eckler was just making Devin Bush's life miserable all game long. But it's one thing to have the receivers that can get open. You need the guy that can get it there too consistently. And man, I know he's had that up and down year, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster for you out there in LA. Any Chargers fans listening to this right now? But my God, you got yourself a franchise guy. He is as long as health is permitting. He's going to be great because you, you got the receivers around him, you got the running back around him, and your line is good and only going to get even better as it continues to gel and grow together. So they got a great thing cooking in L.A. right now, and, and he's the straw that's going to stir that drink for a long time. I'm jealous. Can you hear the jealousy in my voice? Because as we're on the tail we're on the end of, of, our, of our quarterbacks, and I'm looking at what it, it felt like at the beginning of it, and it's just like I miss that. I miss those 10 years of optimism where it's like, more well, than 10 years. We know for a fact we're going to be competitive for a decade at least. It's it's a hell of a feeling. It's not always you're going to be a Super Bowl contender. But you're going to be in it. But you know you're going to be in the playoff hunt and making a threat to make a deep playoff run with a quarterback like that. And, yeah, the way – Outside of Rodgers, he's the best I've seen the Steelers play this year. This year? Yeah. I think that's fair. And I on and he had a better game I think in this game than Rodgers did in the Steelers game. Yeah, I I think that's a fair thing to say because they didn't, the Steelers didn't play Russell Wilson. Correct. And Josh Allen was pedestrian at his worst probably in that week 1 game against the Bills. I'll even venture and say I think Herbert's playing a little better than Allen this year too. Yeah, Allen's I think not Allen's not having, having like a his big great year. year. No. Yeah. I mean everyone was saying it should have been Josh Allen who won uh, league MVP last year, he kind of got robbed a little bit just because he's not old enough yet. He's got to do a, a couple more times in order to really get that recognition. Well, he's not really having a good re-election campaign. He's really there. not. So, yeah, I mean, I think Justin Herbert, and I and I, you said that Justin Herbert had a better game than Aaron Rodgers did? You think Justin Herbert had a better day Last night, than Aaron Rodgers did against the Steelers. Against the Steelers, a couple yeah. weeks ago, yeah, I think that's. Very I mean, I important. know Rodgers destroyed it with the Vikings this past weekend, but yeah, when the Steelers game happened, I don't get me wrong, Rodgers played great in that game. Rodgers also lost that game against he did the Vikings yesterday, so it doesn't matter what you do. You're gonna get Kirk Cousins. It's gonna happen. Yeah, it was a it was a division game, but Cam Hayward spoke earlier this week before kickoff about the the good quarterbacks the the Steelers have to face down the road. And it started with Justin Herbert. And there's really only one guy down the road who who scares me more than Justin Herbert, and that's Pat Mahomes. But that's pretty good company to be in if you're Justin Herbert. If there's only one guy who people think is better than you, and that guy being Patrick Mahomes. They go to Joe Burrow's house next week. They welcome Lamar Jackson in the week after that. They go to Kirk Cousins' house. And normally I'd say, well, Kirk Cousins, there's one where you get a soft spot. Best year of his career by far right now. Oh. Kirk and Cousins. It's on a Thursday night, it's going to be weird. Thursday night football always leads to some weird stuff. The thing that's so impressive about Kirk this year, because I think he's always put up the yardage and the touchdowns, but he's not turning the he's ball over. He's not turning now. the ball over, exactly. And he, you know what's even weirder is the fact that he's having this good of a year with Dalvin Cook having one of his, not his, not a bad year. He's coming back, though. But he, he's just not up to par from what we've seen the last two it's or three fifth in years. rushing now, though. So he's coming okay, back. there you go. Well, he'd be lower if Derrick Henry were still active. Tannehill at home is decent. I like Yeah, Tannehill. he had a really bad day against he Houston did. of all teams. And I think that can happen. So that's why I think it's it's kind of like playing a little Russian roulette with that because you could get the Tannehill that you had against the Texans or you could get the Tannehill when they beat the, the Bills, Rams or when yeah, they beat everyone. the Bills. Like, mm -hmm. He can be a really good quarterback, but 
his consistency problems is why he doesn't jump into that elite conversation, even though he's got all the talent. Mahomes, obviously the best quarterback, I think, on the schedule overall. And I think he's way... I want to talk about a dark horse MVP candidate out of nowhere all of a sudden. He's he's waking up, and it's scary. The one that's the weakest is Baker coming in to, to Heinz Field on Monday Night Football, the second to last week of the season. And then you got Lamar again at the end of the year. But Baker and Tannehill are really the only two quarterbacks I circle and say, you're going to get some mediocre quarterback play potentially out of these two. Like I said, I'd want to say uh, five weeks ago, I'd be all over Kirk Cousins in that category too. But he's that game against the Packers proved it to me. I mean, that guy's that guy's – for a change, it's not him the reason why the Vikings are struggling. No. He's the reason why the Vikings are staying are in it. floating, they, floating they above 500. The, yeah. They just beat division rival Green Bay, and they're 5-5 five and five sitting at 500. You know, I like I kind of like this kind of NFL vibe we got going on, so we're going to break here. When we come back for the top of the hour, we're going to take a look around the NFL action from Week 11, and we're going to talk about that AFC playoff race because it is getting really tight. A lot Do you have a dartboard? I'm just going to throw a team in a dartboard see, and, and, and assume that's going to be correct. There's about five teams still all jockeying for those wild card spots that it's going to be a tight and fun race down the stretch. So we'll get into all that. Hour one of the locker room in the books. Jacob Brecht and Tom Offerman in for Wolf and Starks here on ESPN Pittsburgh.